Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, praise the Lord. How's everybody doing? Good, good, good. If you are here for your very first time, we welcome you. We do have a Bible for you. Um, We are going through the book of Hebrews, and so what we're going to hand out to you is not the whole Bible, but just that one book in the Word of God, the book of Hebrews. So if you do not have the book of Hebrews, which we've been handing out, we're giving you that for free, we just raise up your hand, and we want to give you that as a gift to you today. Just raise up your hand if you have not received that. Raise it up real high so we can see you. We're going to hand that out to you today. Very good. Keep your hand up as we get that over to you. And thank you for being here if you're here for your very first time. We're continuing on in the book of Hebrews, and it has been an incredible journey learning about this community, a very unique community. What we understand about them is that these are Jewish Christians living most likely in the city of Jerusalem around Hebrews, and they are in many ways disenfranchised from their friends, from their family, and from their tribe because everybody they've grown up around is Jewish, and now they're going against the grain, going against the culture, living as Christians amongst all their Jewish friends. And one of the things that he writes about in this book is their hope, but then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the author begins to rebuke them because of their vision of maturity. I have three children, praise the Lord, I am 40 years old and I have a three-year-old because God didn't feel like having two kids was enough and church planting wasn't hard enough, but I needed to have a baby at 40, praise the Lord. So that's what we had. So this is when my daughter was six months old and she's a cute little thing, ain't she? Just beautiful, right? And uh, now she's six months old here. And then six months later, she began doing this thing. She started talking, right? So I knew what she thought. And she would mimic what we would say. Now, she, after six months, obviously grew bigger than this. But it wasn't that much bigger. And only after a year, you know what my daughter would say? I would say, come here, baby. And she'd say, I'm not a baby. One years old, I'm not a baby. Even a baby doesn't want to be a baby. As soon as they can be independent and mature, they talk about they not a baby. If you're not a baby, pay these bills. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Change your own diaper if you're not a baby. But they, they don't want to be a baby. And in this community, there were all these Christians. And they, we understand in the book of John, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. So when you come into the faith of Jesus Christ, it is now a new maturation process. You come in as a baby spiritually. So Nicodemus was old, but he says, you're going to have to be born again. You're going to have to go through the process of knowing Christ and growing. And these Hebrews In this book, from what we understand, they have come to the point where they said, man, we're growing and we're mature. 
The problem in this community wasn't that there were spiritual babes. There will always be spiritual babes in a community. The problem in this community is that they were spiritual babes and they stayed spiritual babes. Furthermore, they didn't think they were spiritual babes. You see, the, the, the challenge of spiritual maturity is oftentimes it can be masqueraded as education or faithfulness. In other words, I've learned a lot, I know a lot, and I've been around a long time. And so because of my chronology, because I've been, I've got some time spent within the body of Christ, the presumption is that I am mature. And what the author here is he's going to jar them because what he's wanting to do is he's going to talk about this guy Melchizedek. And in speaking of Melchizedek, he's going to begin to talk about some very high theology. He's going to talk about the Old Testament and the priesthood. It's going to be stuff that's really hard. But he's saying, I can't even get on to that hard stuff, the complicated things, because you don't do the basics. And it makes me ask the question to this crowd, are you growing? I'm not asking if you've been around a while. Are you actually growing? Are you seeing yourself change? It's interesting because our minds and our hearts can begin to believe growth looks a certain way. Peter, in 2 Peter, picks up on this idea of growth. And he says, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness. Notice what he's talking about are personal characteristics, aspects of who you are and how you come across. He's actually saying, if you have knowledge, make sure you also have self-control. All right, okay, don't stop there. Because if you got self-control, well, make sure you have godliness. Oh, okay. Well, then make sure you have brotherly affection and love. And he continues to go on. And if you were to look at all these, he says, for if these qualities are yours and are what? Increasing. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge. The word in the Greek there is epinosis. He's saying actual knowledge. That's like saying, I know how to drive a car because I read a book versus I know how to drive a car because I can actually drive a car. Epinosis is application knowledge. So he says, you will be, uh, from, he'll keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the epinosis of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. It's saying that there's a good chance that the Jesus that you encountered or you think you see, you don't have a full picture of him because you're not getting closer to him. You're nearsighted. You really don't see the person you think you see. You're reading about him, but you're not becoming like him. You, don't have, you have gnosis, but you don't have epinosis. And so it, asks, it begs the question, are you changing? But look what he continues to say. He says also brotherly affection and love. 
So the goal is not that I just personally change. Also the goal is that I help change others. Jesus said all the commands hang off of two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So there should be an upward sense of growth, but there should be an outward sense of growth. And if you lack one, you will eventually lack the other and your growth will be stunted. And what the community here wanted was new. I want something new. Oh man, we didn't heard about the priesthood. We heard about all that other stuff. I need some new, I need some new. You know what I'm saying? I need, tell me about Melchizedek because I need that 401 faith. I need that deep stuff. I want the deep stuff. And there's a good chance that some of you Your growth is stunted because you're always looking for something new. In fact, there might be a chance that you came to this church because you heard we teach the Bible, maybe. I don't know, praise the Lord. I don't know why you came. But you left your church because you weren't growing. And you use this phrase, I'm not being fed. Now, before I go deep into that. I know how that feels. I know what it's like to want to grow as a believer and be young and want to be challenged. There's a picture of me and Rasul. This is September of 2000. I am 23, Rasul was 22. I have gray hair. Rasul does not, did not, never will. He'll go to the grave (laughs) looking like my nephew. Praise God. (laughs) But if you had sat me down, like if you were with me that year, you know what I would have said? This, because I was with a campus ministry. I'm like, this ministry, man, they don't, they don't get me. Like, I'm going to be somebody, okay? Like, I'm going to do things. Like, I can talk. You know what I'm saying? Like I can do things and they're not, they're not feeding me. Like I don't have anybody to disciple me. I need somebody who's like older, wiser to like pour into me. And I need like some new books. I need some new theology. Like I need that new, you know, I need to grow. And that person never came that whole year. So I was, I was always looking out the window. Like when is the mature person coming to help me? And then I would look at Rasul and be like, it's just us. I guess we got to help each other grow. How many people in here are between the ages of 20 and 25? Raise your hand. Raise them high now. Raise them high. Okay. How many people are between the ages of 25 and 30? Raise your hands. All right. A little more. All right. All right. Put them down. 30 to 35. Raise your hand. Oh, okay. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. 36 to 40. All right. All right. 40 to 50. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All the 40-year-olds will have some, like, cookies in the back for us. Okay. 50 to 60. All right, praise him. All right. 60 to 70. 
Praise the Lord. 70 to 80? 80 to 90. Now, I am not a mathematician. That's Josh. I'm not a mathematician. I'm not a statistician. But I feel like I know the median up in this place. <laughs> Here's, I'm going to just be, I'm going to keep it 100. If, uh, this is a sermon or what? This is a conversation. I'm going to just be 100 with you. Here's what I get all the time on my door. Pastor, I need somebody older wiser, you know what I'm saying? Like our church, like our church was cool year one, year two, year three, year four, you know what I'm saying? But now I feel like I've kind of outgrown, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm mature, like I've, I'm, I've been growing, you know what I mean? And I, I don't see the people that, I mean, for where I am, <laughs> for where I am, I don't see the people that could speak into my life. So I feel like I'm, I don't know, and I need something new. And a lot of times these people are like, they actually use the phrase, I'm not growing because I don't have that new person or that new teaching. You should want that. Just like I wanted that. I want somebody older and wiser. I want to hear great doctrine. You should want that. But here's the truth. By looking around in our church, it's going to be very hard to find someone that is further along with you chronologically. But I know, because I know a lot of y'all's rap sheets, praise God, we're not all at the same place spiritually. And our problem is that we use chronology as a window into sanctification. Age is not an indication of maturity at all. Time spent in the faith is not an indication of maturity at all. What we just looked at in 2 Peter tells you if you're mature. And what you can tell is when you get close up to people and you see their heart and love for God. I was in the gym the other week and I was feeling good about it. You know what I'm saying? I was in the mirror, but I wasn't looking at myself, but I was kind of side-eyeing myself. You know how it is. And I was like, word, word. And I saw this one dude, and he's like in a whole nother universe, like in shape, right? And so I was like, word. I was like, you know, I'm kind of peeping. I'm like, what's up, man? Like, yo, okay, he's, okay, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So we have a conversation, and we're standing in front of the mirror. And I was looking, now before, when I was looking at me and looking at me and looking at me, I was like, I look good. He got next to me, and I was looking at him, and I looked at the mirror. I was like, we are not in the same stratosphere. The closer I got to him, the more I saw who I was not. And I saw who he was. That is how growth is supposed to work. You are supposed to get closer to God, see his holiness, and you see your sin. But we're also supposed to get closer to one another and sharpen one another. And it could be that you're using this picture of this hero mentor that is going to come. The Calvary's coming. And they're going to come and they're going to have, they're going to, they're going to, there's going to be this woman. She's going to have like four kids. She's going to be really in shape. She's going to have mad time. Even though she has like no time, she's going to have time for you, word up. And then all of a sudden, she's just going to be uber available for you. I want that. And we want to create as many systems as possible for maturity in our church when it comes to running against people that are older. But for some reason, God gave us a church that is very young. And because of that, you may find yourself complaining about something that God did. 
Because I believe God created this church. I mean, I ask myself the question, like, where are the older? Whenever I see gray hair, I run to people. I'm like, hey, how you doing? How you doing? You want to stick around at this church a little while? You know what I'm saying? Okay, I got gray. You got gray. Let's be gray together. Right? You want more maturity. I want, but, but this is the point. Could it be that God is creating something special here? See, the, the challenge in Hebrews 5.11, let's look here in Hebrews 5.11. It says, about this we have much to say. So the author is trying to hit at this idea about Melchizedek. He says, we have much to say about Melchizedek. But he says, it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So one of the key points to mention is that he's not saying it's hard to explain. He's saying it's hard to explain because you are not going to be able to receive it. You can't hear it. Now, the word dull of hearing, the word in the Greek, it essentially means sluggish. It means no push, no drive. And he is indicating that the reason why you are not able to move on to greater and bigger and grander thoughts about the faith is because there's something in you that has slowed down. You don't have the same push that when you came into the faith, you were so interested and you were reading and you, you'd call people and you'd connect people and you'd email, you'd, you'd do all these things that were driven, but there came a point where maybe you became dull. You, you didn't have the same kind of drive you once had. And so he gives a remedy for that. He says in verse 12, for though, verse 12, for though by this time, keyword, by this time, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. The author here then instructs them with this idea when he says the basic principles. He's going to talk about that in Hebrews 6. But when he's talking about the basic principles, the words in the Greek basically mean the ABCs of the faith, the simplistic things of the faith. He says, you need to understand the basics again. And in light of that, you should want milk. Now, why does he use this imagery of milk? Well, one, it is to indicate that they are actually spiritually immature. They're not mature. But the issue of milk is an issue of digestion. The reason why you give children Gerber food the reason why you give people milk to drink at a young age. It's not that they can't taste the flavor of a steak. I could put a steak in a baby's mouth. They'll love the flavor. They can't digest it. It won't go down into their stomach. They can't chew and digest. Because the point is not to put the food in your mouth. The point is to be able to swallow it and have it go down to your stomach. And he, what he is saying here is the, those basic truths we taught you, the point of it wasn't to get it in your mind. It was that you would chew on it and get it into your heart. 
And I don't presume you are going to be able to digest new truth because you have not digested the old truth. The basics should be part of your heart, your heart's cry. It should be part of the way you live, part of the way you drive, part of the way you live and, and think. But I don't see that happening in you. So why do you want something new when you don't do the basics? So they wanted deeper and richer truths. And so he says, his remedy for this, though, I find very interesting. He says, well, maybe you need to go back and be taught. But then he says, and I want you to hear this if you've been a Christian for a while now, or if you've been at our church for three to four years now, or if this Christian thing and, and, and the church thing is not new to you. The Bible's not new to you. I'm speaking to a very particular crowd. He says, by this time, you should be teachers by now. Teach what? I mean, I, mean, I, I don't know that much. I mean, you know, I, I'm just a basic Christian. I, mean, I, don't, I, I don't know the things you know. You went to seminary. What the author is getting at is that we have in our minds, and especially in the American church, a very expert framework of sanctification, that I need to be, be the expert in order to speak on something, that I need to know everything before I let something out my mouth. But when he says you ought to be teachers, he's saying that you should be able to teach the basics to someone. My daughters, when they were very young, food, well, that was the thing that was all on us. We cut it up, we get it, milk, cereal, steak, anything. We, we're making it for them. But boy, there came an age when they were like, Saturday morning, hey, I'm hungry. What we say, get it yourself. We've taught you. No, 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 we're not saying go cook an omelet. That's not what we're telling you to do. We're not telling you to make waffles. We're saying you, you know where the milk is, you know where the bowl is, you know where the spoon is, you know where the cereal is. Figure it out, you know what I'm saying? You know where all those things are. Get it yourself. I'm not asking you to be a chef. I'm saying you should be at the place where you can feed yourself. But look, but that's not what he's saying, actually. What he's saying is this. You see, I got a 10-year-old and a 9-year-old and a 3-year-old. And the 3-year-old says, Saturday morning, I hungry. Just like that. Now, I could get up out the bed, but I got two daughters I taught. So what I do is I say, hey, Faith, Leah, go get your sister some cereal. But, I don't, but how do I do it? The same way you do it for yourself. Well, I don't know how to make cereal. If you don't know how to make cereal, <laughs> then I'm not doing a good job as a parent. No, no, no. You should be able to help someone 
with the basics by now. And if you are afraid of helping someone with the basics, then what it is indicating is that you in your mind have been this, this vision of what it means to be a teacher or leader, and it is all built out of being an expert. Most of what you are going to experience in the Christian life is not having a meeting with the pastor or having a great class you're in. Most of the Christian life will be peer discipleship. Discipleship, i.e. helping each other grow when we're at the same place. It's very simple. When we do our city groups, these are not environments where we have the big jug teacher with the little mugs and they pour in. It should be a place where we all have the Holy Spirit and we're teaching one another. And so one of the things that we were talking about in staff meeting is that if you pray regularly, you will grow. But also if you pray with others, you will then help grow others because you are inviting people into your life and into the faith. Secondarily, if you just read the Bible, read his word regularly, but also read the Bible with others. The basics, we will grow as a family. Jesus was asked, hey, your mothers and brothers are outside. And Jesus says, my mothers and my brothers are those who do the will of the Father. And so what we are called to do is be a family growing by which through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are becoming more like our Father. You read the word, you pray, and you read with others, and you pray with others. It is the basic framework of growth. It is not some class. It is not some teacher. It's not some new word. And I can tell you this. If you feel you are not growing at this church because you are waiting for some magical person, I want you to find that person. I mean that with all my heart. I invite you to another place to find that person. Because better for you to find this new space of growth than to stay here and complain, right? So, so get in the game with people in your life. Be in relationships. But the problem is we are not connected in community. We are not growing. Some of us are not in that space of growth. So here's what, here's what, here's what the author says. In Hebrews 5.13, for everyone who lives on milk, so he's going to expose who the immature are, everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of, word of righteousness since he is a child. He's not saying you don't know the word. He says you're not skillful in it. So this is an indication that you need milk. When he's talking about that, he is saying the word child there, he is a child. It is an indication. The, the word in the Greek literally means no speaking. Because children at a point, they don't say anything. They can't say anything. He says you are unskilled. In other words, you don't use the word of God in such a way where you speak into the moment. You say what needs to be said. You teach with your life. Let me just say this. Much of the reason why people don't grow 
is because they think teaching is about having all the right answers. But teaching is you saying what needs to be said in the given moment about what God thinks about a given thing. You saying, not just looking, not just watching, but using the word of God in the moment. I think that particularly when, as being peers, I think that what our challenge is, is sometimes we'll see people doing things or we will be doing things, we'll be in community. And it's not that we don't know what the word of God says about a given subject, we just don't say anything. We don't teach, we don't speak. He says, no, it's, it's no speech. And I think there is, a, in a large part, particularly being such a young church, sometimes we work so hard to be down to earth with one another. But we don't work as hard to be above reproach. You see, when you create a culture of holiness, that means you're set apart. You can't just be like everybody else. You can't just laugh at everything. You can't just watch everything. And living set apart means there will be moments where you have to say the thing that stops the party. It's like, ah, we wildin', we saying anything. And you're like, uh, I don't think God's cool with that, right? Maybe you don't need a new curriculum. Maybe you need the courage to say the things you already know. And the problem of maturity, see, I'm like, I'm like this DJ, right? Over here, I got Christians who've been around a while and they, they, want, they want a Bible and they want new stuff. And then over here, I got immature Christians who really need help growing. And I'm trying to like do a collaboration with these two and get the older Christians to help the younger Christians. And I'm trying to get the mature to help the immature and I'm trying to just get us to live in community. That's why we're doing city groups. I'm trying to get us to be with one another. But we say we're a family, right? Amen? We say we're a family. But if there's only a few mature people, like if only the pastors are the ones meeting with people and serving people, we're not a family, we're an orphanage because we got a bunch of kids with only a few adults. You see, what we're called to be is a big family sharpening one another. So the, so the essence of this, in Hebrews 5.14, he then says, well, what is maturity? In Hebrews 5.14, he tells us, solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And he drops the mic on that subject altogether. He says, this is what it means to be mature. You practice the things you know. And he says, it's constant practice. And then he goes on to say this, what is the fruit of this practice? You discern right from wrong. You make God honoring decisions based upon the word of God. That's how you can tell the mature. It is not how much they know, it's not how long they've been around. I can tell by the decisions you make if God governs those decisions. 
Or is it your feelings? Or are you trying to find fruit, uh, find your own truth? Or is there somebody that's just a friend that you're, you're leaning on? Or is it the word of God? Is that how you make your critical, critical decisions and even light decisions? It is interesting because he says distinguish. They can distinguish good from evil. They can tell what would God want in a given decision. So it is not enough to know. It is enough to take what you know and put it in practice and decide how you're going to use your money, how you're going to spend your time, how you're going to care for people. That is distinguishing good from evil. <laughs> you know, a baby, a little baby, they can't tell Nutella from poop. <laughs> they can't tell. Looks the same to them. They're like, oh, okay, chocolate, amen. <laughs> and what I'm saying is, Many of us know Nutella scriptures, but we make poop decisions, right? And the fact of the matter is, we want what we want. And, and so it's really not, and so that's why there are certain people who hang around a while and they know a lot, but your attitude is still the same as it was two years ago. You still talk about people. You still, like when we ask you to do stuff, it's still like, it's like my kids. It's not that you said no, it's the way you said no. You are available yet unloving, so no one wants to deal with you. It's the same things. You're at the same, no, you don't know the same things, but you're at the same place. Spiritually, you are at the same place because you have not grown in love. And I will not exalt anyone, no matter how gifted they are, to a platform with dynamic gifting but a funky attitude. It will not happen because I love you. Not because, oh, this place is going to be pure and all that. Nah, I'm just telling you. Like, it's better I keep you from being so public because I have been, I've been in ministry 21 years now. I've been around so many people they're so gifted. They're so wise. I know people that, man, you, they start talking, and you, people's necks start to, oh, pff, you must be, are you in ministry? You know, they're just so blown away. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there like, don't, 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 don't. It's not all that. This is what they do. They love the praises of men. And this is what I'm trying to tell you. I don't know. For most of us, I don't know if you're mature. Honestly, until I see you sacrifice, until I see you in a conflict, I can't tell. I really can't. It's when I see you make decisions to love people, to care for people, to sacrifice, when you give your riches to God's kingdom, that's what I can tell. Not that money is the only indicator, but Jesus did say, where your treasure is, your heart is also. So I can't tell. But it comes out in the wash. So, but, but I'm telling you right now, praise the Lord, there's a church down the street that does not care. 
And, and I'm telling you, and I'm saying, go there. Go there now. I mean, quick, because you're going to get up in front of them, and you're going to be like, you know what I'm saying, because Leviticus and chapter 9 of Deuteronomy, and they're going to be like, oh, wow, and they're going to be blown away, and they, they don't care about who you are behind the scenes. They just care about who you are on a platform, and you can ascend to all types of places. And I'm just saying that will not be our church. And so, yes, we have a ladder. We want to see you lead a city group. Why do we want to see you lead? Because we want to see you be faithful to people. We want to see you love on people. Yes, that's what we do. Because that's when I can tell you're mature. You know, you want to be on the worship team? Mark's got this process of being on the worship team. You got to be there for months. And when people are like, uh, I'm here, I have arrived, I'm here to worship, you know what I'm saying? I'm here to, you know what I'm saying, my last church, I was boop-de-boop, and um, so I'm here to whoop-de-whoop, you know what I mean? And Mark's like, well, you don't, we don't whoop-de-whoop, we whoop. You know what I'm saying? We whoop. We go slow, because we like to get to know you. And some people are like, ah, see, that, see, I, see, I thought this was an audition. Like, you know what I'm saying? I thought this was like American Idol. Like, I thought I'd just go through the pass. i go through the round. It's like, no, we want to see your character. And that frustrates people because they've been hiding their character so long that when you get in community, it gets exposed. But there's another issue that he talks about. He says, let us go on, chapter 6, verse 1. He says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. So he says, come on, y'all. Start loving people. Get in the game. Start caring for people. Stop being so bent up in yourself. Let's move on to maturity. Grow up. That's what he's saying. But he then hits at this other idea. Briefly, in Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 6, he says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God. Notice he uses this imagery of tasted, right? And the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. So he says, if you've had this experience, and then you fall away, he's saying it's impossible for them again to, to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Now, this is considered maybe the most difficult verse to translate in the New Testament because oftentimes the way that it is seen is this is an indication of the author saying, if you are unfaithful, God will then discontinue salvation. You will no longer be saved. In other words, you could lose the salvation he once purchased for you. That is a belief that has been stemmed from this and other texts in the New Testament. But you have to understand the context of what's happening here. These Hebrew Christians have stopped coming to community. They've stopped coming around. And because they've stopped coming around, there is the same thing that happens here. That when we don't see people for a while, there is guilt and shame. Rich Bowman, when we first met, one of the things he told me is that he got like saved like 10 times. Like he knows you can only get saved once. But he was like, I got baptized. I was like, how many times you baptized? He's like, man, I've been baptized like seven, eight times. You know what I'm saying? And like some of you, that's happened, right? Like you, you went, you got saved. 
Then, then like that week, it was like, you went out, right? Praise God. You went out, you wild out, right? Then you came back, you're like, I need, I need that water again, right? And just boom, you know what I'm saying? You went back. And it was like, yeah, yeah, you came back. I need that water again. You got back. And some of you have been baptized again and again and again in order to, well, the problem is you don't understand the grace of God. And what he is saying is, no, how, let me ask you a question. All these theologians in here. How many times did Christ die on the cross? How many times? Once, right? How many times did he rise again from the dead? Right. So then, how many times do we die with Christ? Once. How many times are we united with Christ? Once. Our relationship with God starts once. And what he is saying is he is... He's a preacher. He's being hyperbolic. He's giving an exaggeration. He says, no, we would have to, we'd have to, if you want to get saved again, we'd have to crucify Jesus again. No, no, no. I know you've been wandering and I know you feel guilt and shame, but no. Jesus doesn't welcome you and then depart from you. You never subscribed to Jesus. He subscribed to you. So you can't cancel what you did not subscribe to. He chose you. You did not choose him. But what he is getting at those saints, there is a flip side to this coin. If you are irregular or if you are not in a consistent pattern of operating in fellowship with the saints, you may have that concern of getting saved again. But you should ask yourself, am I saved? Like maybe the reason you aren't growing spiritually as a child is that you were never a child in the first place. That maybe you never really had that tasting of the heavenly gift. Like maybe you never tasted the word of God for yourself. Many times people leave the institution of the church because they never had a relationship with the individual of Jesus Christ. And so you're not into the organization anymore. And what I want to tell you tonight is he's available and he's patient. And I thank God that he is more patient with me than I am to myself. No, you don't have to keep coming back again and again. There is a, a thing. This has happened to me. This thing, ghosting, have you, this is a phenomenon, praise God. I looked it up. People told me this. They're like, yeah, they ghosted. I'm like, they ghosted. What is, like I was from another country, like, what is ghosting? What is that? How does one ghost? This is a, for, for the half the room that raised their hands, this is a widespread practice. I'm going to read to you what they said on the internet. The Seriously, this is what people do. The practice of ending a personal relationship with someone 
by suddenly and without explanation withdrawing from all communication. This is a thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? And we do that to one another. But we also do it to the church. And he's saying, if you are ghosting Jesus, you should ask some questions. But we should also ask a question. If you are ghosting the church, if you just magically disappear, we should ask the question, did you ever know him? Yet maybe you were immature, but maybe you never started with Jesus. You just got involved with the church. You liked the relationships. You heard Pastor James, you're like, oh, he's cool, you know, for an older guy, he's cool, yeah. I like the music. Maybe you just bought into the community, but not the Christ. And that's what I wanna offer you tonight. I wanna offer you Jesus. I don't want to offer you an institution. Institutions have issues because it's filled with broken people. Tonight, we don't worship the pastor. We don't worship the worship leader. We don't worship the institution. We worship Jesus. I offer you Jesus tonight. I offer you a relationship with him. But for those of you that have been a Christian for a while, get in the game. Ministry is messy. You want to go to the next level in your walk? Diligently get involved with people's lives. That will grow you up in ways you can't imagine. Pursue people. The reason why we set these chairs up and we do setup team is because it's also we can pursue people. The reason why we have audio back there is so people can hear us. The reason why we do the worship team is so people can be in a posture of worshiping God. This is all about Christ pursuing people through us. The reason why we do city groups is not so that we can just get to know one another. It is not an environment just to study the Bible. It is not an environment just to be friends. It is a place of ministry. And you think ministry is gonna happen when you get the next education. Ministry starts when you start engaging the brokenness of people and loving them. And I invite you to that. I wonder if you'd stand with me tonight. Gracious God, we thank you and we love you. We offer ourselves to you for what you've done for us. And tonight we ask that you would create an atmosphere of, of growth, that you would change us and make us look more like you. Holy Spirit, we ask tonight that you would mature us, that you would grow us up, and that we would no longer be children in the faith, but we would be mature. Get us in the game of relationships, the messiness of it. Let us move on from milk, the basics, to deeper things, but let us make sure we are doing the milk well, the basics well, in Jesus' name. Tonight we'll have communion. Wonder if we could have the communion come. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it. He said, he looks at these believers, 
these disciples and he looks at them. He says, this is my body broken for you. He says, this is my blood. This is the new covenant in my blood. And he was sending them out like sheep among wolves. And the great teacher would no longer be there. But he said, greater works you will do because they would be dependent on the Holy Spirit. And tonight, if you don't know Jesus, I ask that you would come and talk to one of us, that you would be in a relationship with God, you would know him more. But I also invite those who are older and more mature, I invite you into a greater dependence on the Holy Spirit so he could use you for greater works. That's the calling on your life, greater works. Doing something you could not do in your own power, but greater works. Getting into the lives of people. There is a great work he has called you to do. So tonight I ask that you... We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.